If you're not already at Luke chapter 5, please go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5. The Bible says, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesareth. Uh, in other accounts of the story in the other gospel, they would say the Sea of Galilee and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he, and, he set, and, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Uh, I want to use as a subject this morning, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. And it's taken from verse number four, where Jesus says to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I want to say at the outset, we need to go deeper as a congregation and as individual Christians. We need to launch out in the deep. It's time to grow up. It's time to live like you are a mature Christian. It's time to live like you're somebody who's been around the church building for 10, 20, and 30 years. It's time to live up to the standards of the faith that we say we have. And I say that because it's very easy to get dumbed down in, in the world we live in. Uh, you get dumbed down at home, you get dumbed down on your job, uh, you get dumbed down in the school system, and unfortunately, it's, it's very easy to get dumbed down in the local congregation. You get to where nobody expects anything other than folks just show up. And we get happy with people showing up. Well, Christianity is not just a religion you show up on Sunday about. It's what we do all week long. And I'm afraid many, uh, because of the laziness that is rampant in, in religion and, and Christianity in general, we, we've come to equate being a Christian with just coming to church services on Sunday. And so if I'm there on Sunday, it doesn't matter how I've lived my life all week. doesn't matter I haven't picked up the Bible to study it all week. doesn't matter I haven't prayed to God at all. I haven't talked to him about nothing. But I, I'm able to get here on Sunday. I may come here hungover. I may come up here sleeping in worship service. I may come up late every Sunday. 
I may come up here with a bad attitude, but as long as I was here on Sunday, I feel I'm okay with God. And I need for us to begin to understand that attending worship service is a small part of your Christianity. And that's something you got to do. This is like you go to work on Monday. You don't even think about it. You know you got to be there. Okay, some of you conveniently miss some Mondays and stuff like that. And, and by the way, some of you conveniently miss some Sundays too. But, but Sunday worship service is, is just something that's just built in. Just like you breathe. You know, come Sunday, I got to be a worship service. And so that's why you don't debate this with folk. That's why folk in your house aren't ready, you leave them. And that's also why I would encourage you, date a person who's a Christian and marry a person who's a Christian. So on Sunday, we all go into the same place. Now, there's just some fundamentals of your faith. You ought not be debating with folk who's supposed to be close to you. And we find ourselves in situations where we do that. Oh, well, that's not even my lesson today. Let me, let me, get, let me leave that alone. Uh, but it, let's go deeper. And you'll see... I actually worked through the, this lesson, and this is going to be a part of a series, so I'm going to give you the first installment of it today to whet your appetites, and then for the next several Sundays, we'll be dealing with this. So one of, one of the things I want to share with us is that first century Christians were concerned about evangelism. When you, when you look at Acts chapter 2 from the time the church is established, uh, just as you go throughout the book of Acts, you see the church growing. You see people being added to the faith. And you start out in Acts chapter 2 with 3,000 being added to the church. And soon we got 5,000, and that's just men, that including the women and children. And you begin to see that something had to be going on for that growth to occur. And one of the things that was happening is the members, the people who were Christians, were excited about their faith, and they told people that they encountered about this new relationship they have with God, about this Christian community that they are part of. They were excited about it, and, and that excitement got passed on to other people. You, you, you know how it is. When you're excited about something, you tell other people, they get excited about it. But when you're not excited about nothing, you don't tell nobody about it. And, and so evangelism was a priority for them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through uh, the end of the chapter, the church is established there, and you'll see the Christians meeting on a regular basis. The text says daily, house to house. Uh, they had fellowship. There was interaction. It was a priority. And sad to say, in the 21st century, Christianity is not a priority, even for the folk who claim to be Christians. We have built our lives around so much stuff that it's a burden to us to come to a morning and an evening worship on a Sunday. And I think somewhere in scripture it says Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not your day. It, it, it doesn't, isn't that in your Bible? So how is it if it's the Lord's day, we give him just an hour or two of it? And so it's very easy to get into these habits and because nobody says anything to us about it, we just think it's okay when what you discover is your, your spirituality declines. And, and some of us, if the truth be told, the only, the only evidence that we are Christian is the fact that we went in some water. We got baptized. There's no evidence based on how we live our lives, how we make decisions, how we prioritize what we do. 
is what we say. And as we mature and grow in our faith, as we grow deeper, it becomes evident in how you live your life. So that you don't have to do a whole lot of talking about Jesus is ahead of my life and, and, and all these are kinds of things. We see it and how you live your life and how you make decisions. We see it in what you do and don't do. Oh, by the way, we see it in how you dress and how you don't dress. But that's a whole nother sermon. And so one of the things that we're seeing today is congregations are dwindling. And the sad reality is the dwindling started a long time ago. But we were so dulled, dumbed down by Satan that we didn't see we weren't baptizing people. We weren't adding to our numbers. What people were doing was dying. And you have babies being born. And so for a while it balances out. But then eventually it catches up with you. Where you got more folk dying, then you have babies being born, and you have new Christians being added to the family. And that happens when we lose our zeal for evangelism. Now, in an audience this size, if I ask you to raise your hands, how many of you have never led anybody to Christ? There'd be a whole, a whole lot of hands that would grow up if you were honest. You need to think about why is that? Because in the last 18, 15, 20 years, you have talked to a whole lot of people about a whole lot of other things. Why didn't the church, a relationship with Jesus, or getting baptized become a Why was that not a part of the conversation? The zeal is not there. See, if you recognize that the people that you know, the people you love, who are non-Christians are on their way to hell, you talk to them. You wouldn't badger them, you wouldn't beat them down, but you'd make sure that they would not be able to say, you never mentioned him to me. And unfortunately, we got a lot of people, a lot of church members who've never mentioned him to anybody. Never even mentioned him to your children. And there are consequences of that. So we got people who are members of the church who have no zeal or who have lost their zeal for evangelism. And we got to do something to change that dynamic. And, and, and one of the things I'm suggesting that we need to do that is recognize we need to go deeper in our faith, deeper in our commitment to Jesus. And what you will discover is if we do that, then we're going we're gonna to talk to some people. And if there are about 80 of us in the auditorium tonight, uh, this morning, if 80 of us talk to folk, then at least 20 or 30 of them ought to obey the gospel. But guess what? We got to do that. We got to get out of the rut that we're in. We got to get out of our comfort zone. And we've got to see every interaction that we have with a non-believer as an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean you have a sit-down Bible class with them, because if you've been around here 10 or 15 years, you ought to know enough Bible to talk to people about the Word of God without having to pull out a Bible in front of you. Now, you ought to know that. It's time out for making excuses about, well, I can't support the plan of salvation with Scripture. Or I can't give a Scripture for the items of worship. Shame, shame, shame. You say you're Christian and you can't do that? That's, that those are the basics. And the reality is we got people who, if they were honest, would say, I don't know. 
And you have to ask, why don't you know? You come to church service every Sunday, and you don't know? Been involved in Bible class, and you don't know? And the reason that happens is that we haven't challenged people to go deeper into the scriptures. So if we're challenged to go deeper, then one of the things that it'll do for us, it'll stop all this petty squabbling that we do. Because a lot of petty squabbles we do are based on the fact we're spiritual babies. We're spiritual toddlers. See, when you get a a little maturity on you, there's just some things people say and do. You don't even say nothing about it. (laughs) It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And you pray for the people who are saying and doing those kinds of things because you know that part of their issue is they need to grow up. And so you learn how to forgive even when people don't come back and apologize to you. Oh my goodness, I think I said something up in there. Because some of us, if you don't come back and apologize, I'm not forgiving you. How can you claim to be following Jesus and have an unforgiving heart? And some will wear, wear like a badge of honor uh, until they come back to me and apologize. Well, just hope you don't die with that kind of philosophy. That, that there's some things that as we go deep in the scripture, you just learn how to deal with. Because you recognize it's not going to change. He or she is not going to change. They're not going to change. So I'm not going to let them upset me every time I have a conversation with them. I'm, I'm not going to let them rob me of joy. And some of you, you let people rob you of joy and happiness, and you don't begin to see it, and you end up sinning more than the person you're mad at. But that wasn't even my lesson today, so, but, but it's free. So, so we need to go deeper here. And I, I want to say that in order for that to occur, we got to be reminded of what our calling is. Now, in Scripture, there are several callings that people had. So, so one of the callings that anybody who's a Christian has is a calling to salvation. If you don't have a calling to salvation, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to be able to do much uh, in the kingdom. Because the things that we do in the kingdom are, are spiritually led. And so the Holy Spirit has to be working and operating in us in order for us to do what God wants us to do. Now, I'm sure many of you have been places where you've seen people operate out of their own spirit. That won't bring unity. It won't bring healing or wholeness. And so there's a calling to salvation. And then there is a calling to evangelism. You and I need to recognize, as Christians, we have been called to evangelize. That we, we cannot get around that. You and I have to plant and water. But you got to recognize God is the one who gives the increase. But we've tried to give the increase instead of recognizing, no, no, all you can do is dig a hole and throw a seed, piece, a seed down there. And if it's God's will, something will come up. And if it isn't, nothing will come up. But you have done what you're supposed to do. And the more we do that, the more likely something's going to spring up. So uh, there's a calling to salvation. There's a calling to evangelism. There's also a calling to discipleship. And one of the reasons our people have not gone, grown deeper is that we, we do a poor job of discipling people. We get excited when folk get baptized, and then we don't make sure they come to Bible class. 
We don't make sure that they're involved in any spiritual activities that will edify them. We, we don't do anything to help introduce them to the spiritual members of the congregation. To the spiritual members of the congregation. To the spiritual members of the congregations. The immature, they will flock to those people. And they spoil them. And so we've got to be very deliberate with new converts and new members to make sure that we surround them with men and women that are solid spiritually. And then there's a call to consistent service or ministry. You can look at the fact that we have ministries that need workers to show that some of us are not getting the call to consist. Notice I said consistent service, not hitting and missing. See, many of us, we, we've come along and we're used to special events. And we'll, we'll, we'll volunteer for a special event because that's going to happen every blue moon, once a year. And we think we've discharged our duty and our service by being involved in a special event versus being involved in ongoing ministry. And more of us need to recognize we have been called to consistent service. And I'm thankful we have a congregation where there are close to 20 service opportunities for any Christian who wants to get involved, who wants to grow in their faith, who wants to build up the body. Because that's what happens in our ministries. And ministry leaders need to understand this. By getting people involved in the service of the church, it builds them up and it builds up our congregation. You are a hindrance if you're not letting people serve God. You are a hindrance if you're not providing them leadership in doing that. So the job of leaders is to open doors so people can get involved, not to shut doors and say, we got enough people here. No, what you have are people who've been in this area for a long period of time, and some of them need to move on. Because some of us, we, we volunteer for the easy stuff. Some of our ministries are easy to do, and everybody wants to flock to them. And ministry leaders have to recognize that some folks, they want, they want to volunteer. You need to say, no, uh, you, you'll be better suited going over there. Now, I'll just drop this, and I'll move on to the text. Uh, ministry leaders, we need to find a way to make sure our seniors who want to serve have an opportunity. Some of our ministries are too loaded down with 20 and 30-year-olds who want the easy assignments. The easy assignments ought to go to somebody who's homebound or somebody who's not as mobile as the rest of us. And I don't need to call out any ministry. You guys know the ones that are easy to deal with. And you know the ones that are high burnout. Because you're always doing something in them. But where is your calling? Because if we don't understand this, you're not going to go deeper. You're going to latch on to something and say, well, you know, I'm involved. I'm doing something. I'm doing more than Brandon is doing, so I must be okay. <laughs> but what happens if Brandon doesn't want to do anything? What happens if Brandon is okay with going to hell? And so you begin to see, measuring yourselves by what other people do or don't do is not a good standard. Measure yourself by Jesus. And then we'll all see we need to go deeper. So in our text, Jesus is just being Jesus. 
In the latter part of chapter 4, Jesus is preaching. The text says in verse 44, he was preaching in synagogues of Galilee. When we get into chapter 5, verse number 1, he got a multitude following him. So Jesus starts out in the synagogue. But guess what happens when Jesus preaches and teaches? Multitudes, large numbers want to hear what he has to say. Even if people didn't follow him, obey him, they want to hear what he had to say. So we get into chapter Five, we have left the synagogue, and now we're at a point where there's a multitude following him, and they're out near the seashore. And Jesus wants to position himself so that he can speak, and the large numbers of folk can hear him. So what Jesus does is he sees some boats that are there, and nobody's in them. And so he commandeers uh, Simon's boat, and he goes out a little place, uh, a little ways into the water, and then he sits down, and then he shares with the folk back on the, on the, on the shore. So I would think it's interesting, in, 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 in Scripture, when teachers were teaching, they would sit. Okay, can anybody bring me a, 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 a stool so I can sit on? <laughs> Not a chair, because you wouldn't be able to see me there. But anyways, so in our contemporary culture, when teachers teach, they stand. I just think it's just interesting. So it's interesting, the teacher who's teaching in our culture stands, who's physically doing the work, and the folk who are listening sit down in comfortable chairs and fall asleep. <laughs> just saying, just saying. So, so, so he commandeers Simon's boat, he goes out, he positions himself so he can teach the people. Uh, Jesus, we learn, taught wherever it was he went. I need for us to understand wherever it is God sends you, wherever it is you go, you and I ought to be ready to teach. We ought to be ready to have a conversation with the people that we encounter about Jesus, about his about his word or about the church. You need to have your elevator speech so that when you when you meet people, especially if people are interested, that you need to say something to bless their lives and to open the door for further conversations, or at least open the door so that you can invite them to a Bible class or to a worship service. Because for many people, that's where it starts. Somebody gives them an invitation to come to a Bible class. Somebody gives them an invitation to come to worship, and they hear something. They experience something that they've never heard or experienced before, and they want to come back. And that gives the Word the opportunity to work on their heart. Uh, You and I need to realize there's power in the word of Jesus. I think Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. There's power, there's dynamite uh, in the word. And we need to expose people to this dynamite that can rearrange their lives. And and so Jesus does it. He he teaches. And and so he gets the people's attention. They're focused on him. Uh, But then we learn uh, when we get to verse number 4, he takes his attention from the multitude to now he's having a conversation with Simon where he's going to teach him something. So there are times where we can get caught in the message that's going out to the larger audience. But there are times where Jesus needs to speak to you. He needs to get your attention. You need to hear what he has to say in your life. Because it's very easy to say, well, that's for them folk on that side of the building. And, and that's for those folks. No, no, a lot of times the message is for me, is for you, but because our ears are closed, we think, well, somebody else should have heard that. 
When God is trying to get your attention, he's trying to change your life. He's trying to help your situation. And your, our situation changes as we grow deeper in, into the word of God, as we go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Too many of us are satisfied with a superficial relationship with Jesus. I, I know he's God's son. I know he came on the earth. I, I know he was sacrificed on the cross and all that. But we don't know him in a deeper personal way. And you're only going to get that from interacting with him, i.e. through his word and through prayer. And so we rob ourselves of spiritual blessings because we don't want to get closer to Jesus. Peter was on the case, cast your cares on him. See, some of you are stretched out and drugged up because you're trying to deal with problems and issues. And instead of going to Dr. Jesus, you go to Dr. Feelgood, and he writes you a prescription, and you go get this medicine that makes you high. When you could have saved yourself a whole lot of money by getting on your knees and talking to Dr. Jesus. And, and so in verse number four, he has this conversation with Simon. He says to Simon, lunch out into the deep. And when you do that, let down your nets for a catch. And, and so Jesus reminds Simon, you need to move from your current position. See, some of you, uh, you're missing your blessing because you won't move. You won't move. You're comfortable where you are. And Jesus is saying, but if you'd only move. If you'd only move, if you change your thinking, change your focus, then I can bless you in, in ways you'd never think about. But I want to do it my way. It worked for me for the last 30 years. It is amazing how we can blind ourselves to think things are working for us. And everybody around you knows they're not working for you. You're just blind. So he says, launch into the deep. Verse, verse 5, you know, we have Simon's response. Simon says, Master, we have toiled all night long, and we ain't caught nothing. I added the ain't there for you grammarians. Is this right, right? Grammarians? Okay, thank you. Got a college professor down here. I have to check with her every now and then. Master, we have taught all night and caught nothing. But just because you said it, we'll do it. He says, we've been fishing all night and we're tired. And we can't come to Sunday morning worship. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd get you there. So imagine, because you, you've been there on some, on some Saturdays and early Sunday mornings. Yeah. You tired? Yeah. Oh, that was probably for some of you the issue this morning. Yeah. Or it's wintertime and it's warm in them blankets and you got to put your feet on that cold floor and you don't want to do it. Yeah. Or you start imagining, I, I need to be sick right now. <laughs> so now I have a legitimate reason not to go to church services. Or you hope one of the children gets sick. So you're a shoot, I had to stay home and take care of them. Or you start calling folks to find out who's sick. So you can go over there and say you're going to stay with them. And so, excuses. We've been fishing all night and we're tired. That's the whole purpose. And we've taught all night long. And then it says, we haven't been successful. We didn't catch nothing. 
fish all night long, and won't have nothing to show for it. And so that's why when we first meet them, they're washing their nets. They, they, they finished their, their job for the evening, and, and they, they didn't catch anything. Peter's attitude, well, not Peter, Simon, because he's Simon now, is, Jesus, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm an expert fisherman. I know where the fish are. And so if we've been there all night and we couldn't find anything, how you, you a carpenter. That's not even your profession. You guys know how you get. You this big uh, mookly-muck on your job and, and folk come telling you how you ought to do your job. And you say, you don't got no degree. You don't have no experience over here. And why should I have to listen to you? But I'm glad Simon has sense enough to recognize if Jesus recommends something, if Jesus suggests something, you ought to do it. Now, how has that played out in your life? Jesus has talked to you through scripture and told you what you ought to do, and you say, I don't want to do it. I'm comfortable where I am. Uh, Things are working out fine for me the way they are. You don't recognize, but it can be so much better when you follow what Jesus has told us what to do. And so again, I'm thankful that Simon, he's the instructions of Jesus to launch out and go deeper. We have anybody like Simon in the audience today that's willing to listen to Jesus and launch out and go deeper. So launching out and going deeper may be scary for some people. The familiar is comfortable. That's why some of you sit in the same seat almost every Sunday. (laughs) Sitting in the same seat almost every Sunday. It's only been in the last few months some of you have varied in where you sit. I I, I see it. But, But many people, same seat. If not the same seat, same general area. Yeah. Yeah. And some of you come in here and there are 80 seats available when you walk through the door, but you just feel comfortable yeah. going over here. <laughs> some of you get comfortable in the noisy section where folks are just talking all throughout worship services. You know you're not hearing anything, you're not learning anything, but you know I'm comfortable over there. Comfortable being distracted in worship service. I, I can't get with that. I, I want to learn. I, I want to focus and be better leaving here than when I got here. So I, I can't deal with this passing notes and folk want to whisper every time uh, a comment is made and stuff like that. Just, yeah, I, I don't understand it. But you, you, and I'm me. Thank you, Lord. And so in verses 6 to 7, we see the results of obedience. We see that Peter and his companions meet with success. They caught, in verse number six, they caught a great number of fish. So great a number that the net that they were using to hold the fish was getting ready to break. That's a lot of fish. Four guys who had spent all night and didn't catch nothing. When we follow what Jesus says, we experience success. 
When we follow what Jesus has told us to do, we're faithful. You're not faithful disobeying Jesus. You're not faithful doing it your own way. You're faithful in doing what he says and trusting Jesus for the results. That's why when we go out to evangelize or talk to people about Jesus, you trust him for the results. All I'm going to do is plant or water. He gives the increase. And so if people reject this, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. Which allows you not to take certain things personal. Somebody said, I don't want to hear what you got to say. Okay, thank you. And you move on. Somebody said, I heard that before. I said, well, maybe you, you had not heard it from me. So give me a minute or two. I said to the 8 o'clock people, get your elevator speech together. Get your, your two or three minute elevator speech together. You know who you are. I'm a Christian. You know where you worship. Bedford Street Church of Christ. You know our address, right? You, you, know, our, you know our web address, right? Mm-hmm. You know our phone number, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. In case you don't know that information, there is a brochure on the table downstairs that has all that information. Have that information with you because you may only get two or three minutes. And then if your person shows up here, you make sure you're here too. Now I'll let you in a little secret. So if you're going to be an evangelist, you're going to invite people. You will always be prepared if you always show up on Sunday. Because people tell you, oh, I'll be here next Sunday. They don't show up. Yeah. Or oh, I'll be here two weeks from They don't show up. Right. But then a month later, when you weren't expecting them, guess what? They show up. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be mighty sad for them to show up. And they say, do you know Brittany? Say, yeah, I know her. No, where is she? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's what you got to say. You don't know. Don't be making that Well, she, you know, she's usually here, but on this Sunday, for some reason, she's not here. I'm saying she's not here, but there are other people here, and God is here. So if you're going to be inviting folk to church service, you need to be committed to showing up yourself. Because you never know when those individuals are going to show up. And even be willing to go and pick them up in your nice car. And don't be asking for gas money. You want to bring the person closer to Jesus. And, and as you work to bring people closer to Jesus and you launch out in your faith, you don't let gas stop you. Thank the you. fact that it's going to be 10 miles out of the way. Yeah. You see there's an opportunity to introduce a soul to Jesus. And so if it's 10 miles or 50, I ain't getting no amen on that. It's 10 miles or 50. You're going to do it. And if it's a hardship for you, talk to the transportation people and we'll give you some gas money to make up for it. But if you got your priorities right, you're not going to let $5 worth of gas stop you. That soul is worth more than that. And so because they follow Jesus, success happens. They catch a great number of fish. So much so that they have to bring their partners, James and John, uh, into this to help them carry this load back to shore. And so the thought from that is you don't have to do it all by yourself. There are no such things as a lone ranger Christian. Some of you want to isolate yourself. You don't want nobody to know nothing that's going on with you until you get sick and then you get mad and nobody called you when you're sick. Well, you don't, you don't associate with anybody. 
going to the hospital. Well, I was in the hospital. Nobody uh, called me, sent me cards. We didn't know you were in the hospital. Right. Somebody died in your family. Well, nobody, oh, nobody showed up at my family's funeral. Nobody sent a card. Nobody, uh, we, we didn't know. If you want us to know, you need to tell us. But, but they, were, they were in a situation where they needed help. Guess what? They weren't too proud to ask for help. So the other boats came along, and, and jointly together, they were able to pull this huge haul of fish to shore. Don't be afraid to reach out for help when you need it. Don't let your pride and ego stop you. We're family, brothers and sisters. We love each other. We care about each other. Give us the opportunity to show you that by sharing your concerns with us. Recognize, yeah, we, we got some folk here who gossip and who, uh, who do a whole lot of ungodly stuff. But the vast majority of us are Christians. And we want to build each other up in the faith. And so what you see happening here is that these expert fishermen, receive more fish from the advice of a carpenter than they had on their own intuition. So you experts, you big ballers on the job, and you stand behind your credentials. Okay, what does it have to do with your spirituality? Because you can be the CEO of a company and not know Jesus. You can order a hundred folk or more on the job around, give them direction and guidance, and you're still lost and don't know how to find Jesus. And so a lot of times we will measure our faithfulness and our spirituality by things that don't matter. And as we go deeper into the scripture, one of the things that happens is that you recognize you are a vessel that God pulls out of the tool shed every now and then to use. And there's going to come a time where he will no longer need your service and he's going to retire you back to the tool shed. And then go in and find another tool uh, to use. In verses 8 through 9, there is a realization of who Jesus is by Simon, James, and John. And, you know, we haven't talked about Andrew. You guys know who Andrew was, right? That was Simon's brother. So in other gospel accounts, you'll see Andrew included that. So just know Andrew is in the mix. Uh, these are two brothers teams who are partners in the fishing business. So we learn uh, from verses 8 through 9 that Peter finally got it in terms of who Jesus is and was. And there are times where we think we know Jesus. And then we have those aha moments where his presence, we now feel it. We now understand it based on the predicament I am now in. See, some folk don't know, don't know Jesus today in the hospital, getting ready to get, be cut on. Now, all of a sudden, you recognize you can't have no faith in this doctor. And there's no guarantee when they put you under, they're going to be able to wake you up. And somebody says, oh, I'm going to the best hospital in the Boston area. They got all the experts and all that. Folks still die at that hospital. You just don't know it. So trust Dr. Jesus when it comes to your surgery. So, so Simon Peter has this aha moment who recognizes the power of Jesus. 
And that's why in verse number eight, he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So when you finally have your aha moment with Jesus and you recognize who he is, you also recognize who you are. And whereas you may have thought you were a big shot, bag of chips and all that kind of stuff, you now learn you're just a paper bag that's on its way to the trash can. And so Simon could say, Jesus, you need to get away from me. I'm sinful. I am undone. I'm not worthy to be in your sight. And that's really how we ought to feel. If you go deeper in the scripture, you recognize you're just a filthy rag. On your best day, you're still unworthy. And, and we, will, we will just live our lives as if we are worthy of the blessings that he has given to us. That I deserve this. You deserve hell. That's what you deserve. You want to tell the truth about it. That's what you deserve. The wages of sin is death. I'm looking at a bunch of sinners. Guess what you deserve? Death. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you, when God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. That's why it's important to be in Christ. So you have a covering. But when you're not in Christ, you don't have a covering. And so when Jesus looks at you, he sees a sinner. So Simon has a realization. He says, get away from me, Jesus. Depart from me. Because it's in that moment he recognizes who he is. The deeper we go into our relationship with Jesus, the more we know who we are. And you don't have to have anybody come and tell you about your weaknesses and faults. If you're honest, you already know. And so the consequence is that I don't get mad at you because you simply come up and tell me the truth. And I'm amazed at the number of folk who get mad when you simply tell them the truth about themselves. And you start to recognize, you, you, you're more blind than I thought. I knew you wouldn't like what I had to say, but I didn't think you'd get all indignant with me and curse me out. Come on, some of you know what you do when people have talked to you. Rather than you being honest and saying, brother, sister, you're right, you get defensive. Yeah, but I, I walk up to you and say, uh, you're not faithful in your attendance. Okay, but well, you're only here once a month. Right. Uh, do you call that faithful? <laughs> or Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, you call that faithful? <laughs> but you want to deceive yourself. Mm-hmm. And others, we don't want to uh, uh, be honest with people, and so you lie to them. Guess what? You sin in when you lie to folk. Amen. And you're telling them they're faithful when they're not. So, so Simon recognized his condition, and the text says he worshipped Jesus. He fell at his feet. The deeper we go in our relationship with Jesus, the only thing we recognize I can offer him is worship. Yeah. Thank you. He already got my money. He got my car. He got my house. And so the thing I give to him that nobody else can do is my worship. This is not the corporate worship that we're participating in now. This is your daily worship. See, you and I ought to be worshiping Jesus every day. You don't just wait till Sunday. Uh, there are some things that we do on Sunday corporately. Like, for example, we take the Lord's Supper and we give on Sunday. But every day I'm alive, I need to wake up thanking Jesus. I ought to have a song in my heart and I ought to be willing to pray to him. And I guarantee you if, you, if you have that kind of disposition, that kind of attitude, every day is going to be a good day. Amen. Even if you get fired on the day, it's still a good day. 
Because I know my, my God got another job for me. That, that's why you can be who you are, be genuine, be real, and you're not afraid of some stuff. See, I told you, if you guys fired me, you'd be doing me a favor. Because I just believe God got another congregation that will hire me just like that. Pay for my transportation expenses to move on the other side of the country. Offer me a better salary. That's just how God does it. Now, come on. Some of you, you lost your job. You got another job. It was better than the one you had, and you made more money than what you were making. So people may have thought they were doing you wrong. They, they just bless you. So Simon worshiped Jesus. And then the text says all the other people who were around, James and John and the other workers also, were impacted by this. So you never know. When you go deeper, how other people around you are going to be impacted by this. Parents, I need for you to understand, your children will go deeper in their relationship with Jesus if they see mom and dad have a deep relationship with Jesus. Some of you people who are married to weak spouses, if you would focus on going deeper with Jesus, you would see a change in that other person. Nagging somebody is not going to change anybody. It's going to make them be more defiant. So if you want to see somebody get better, be who you're supposed to be. Be an example for them and, and see what God will do in that situation. Instead of you trying to make something happen. And the more we try to make stuff happen, the more bad things happen. So it was important for them to realize who Jesus was. And we see that. And then in verses 10 through 11, because they recognize who Jesus is, Jesus gives them a new assignment. And so what we see here is Jesus says in the latter part of verse number 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So Jesus uses their profession to put them in ministry. They are fishermen. They're used to catching fish. He says, now you're going to catch men and bring them into a saving relationship with Jesus. I wonder what would happen if we were Christians first and then workers. So whatever job title you had, you were a Christian first, and then you saw your job as your ministry field. You change the culture of the company you work at. Right. Mm -hmm. But you got to trust Jesus yeah. in doing that. And we tend to do that. We're so afraid of losing a job, we won't say nothing. Folk can defame Jesus all day long in our presence. Homosexuals can come in our presence, talk about their relationships with, with that same-sex person, and we just sit there and listen to them as if it's normal. And then you want to come to church services and... and when what you should have done was be light in that situation. Yeah. Now, we're not talking about coming in and tearing up a company, violating policy and stuff like that. You talk to your coworkers about everything you want to talk to them about. Thank you. Now, come on, let's be real. Thank you. Why can't you put some Jesus in the conversation yeah. every now and then? Some of you go out to lunch or you go out to dinner with your partner or when you're in the evening having the, the social activities on your job. 
Everybody else talking about how much they drink and how much they spend on this thing and that thing. Why don't you tell them how wonderful a time you had at church services on Sunday? And the sermon was about this. And if you are wanting to get to know Jesus, why don't you come and visit us? Now, they may say you're crazy and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. They said the same thing about Jesus. And Jesus is now in heaven. So it doesn't matter what folks said about it. Guess what? If you go deeper, it won't matter to you what ungodly folks say about you. What will matter to you is what Jesus will say about you in the end. So he says, you're going to catch men. You're going to be fishers of men. And the, 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 the idea is they already have the skill for it. God blesses us with the ability to serve him where we are. God can take your college degree, your training, and equip you to evangelize in that area that you're in. Because the same folk that value you as an employee who value your input to the company will listen to you. They'll listen. They'll give you a hearing. They may not follow what you say. They'll at least hear you. They, ex- re- they respect you that much. Right. If they didn't, you wouldn't be there. Right. Now, of course, you've got to have the right approach. And some of us need to be taught the right approach. You can't be a bulldozer coming in here trying to knock down, ball, knock down walls. You will soon be asked to leave. You'll be unemployed. You would have given the church a bad name on the job so nobody else can come there and say anything about But they already have the skills. One of the things that I, I have come to appreciate about people who fish is the patience that they have. I know folks spend all day out there and might not catch nothing. But they had a wonderful experience. And they talked to everybody who came along who was out there fishing also, shared their bait with them and all the fish stories and all the kind of stuff. Uh, folk can be very conversational when they're out there fishing. Why, why can't we do that when it comes to talking about Jesus? And so they would have had patience. They would have had the tools. So God has equipped us with the tools that we'll need to be a blessing in the area of our expertise. You just got to see it as a window, as a door that opens up. I was talking to uh, Myrna. I know you're here somewhere. Myrna, Myrna, Myrna. Oh, okay. Uh, when she was doing the Uber stuff, and she was telling me about, you know, she'd give them literature on the church and give them a business card and stuff like that. That's probably why we ran out of all the church business cards. <laughs> you were taking them and giving them to all your clients. But do use whatever tools we have here. That the stuff on the table down there is there for you to take with you, to use, to educate and invite and inform people of who we are. Mm-hmm. Refer folk to the website or to our YouTube yeah. uh, page and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Use what you got. And we already know that they know how to follow directions. See, one of the key things to being an effective evangelist or to evangelize people is know how to follow directions. And if you understand that, then you only tell people what Jesus said people ought to do. You don't get into traditions. You don't get into uh, stuff that has no relevancy to salvation. You simply tell people what it is they need to know in order to be right with Jesus. And too many times, the longer we've been a Christian, the longer we've been affiliated with the congregation, the more tradition-focused we are. And we act like everything has to be done with every other person the way it was when I came through. We need to learn how 
to distinguish between doctrine and tradition. Now, all tradition is not bad, but you need to recognize that that's church tradition. So we have an 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock worship. There's no scriptural time there. And so if we change it next month to say we're going to meet at 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock, now while some of you will stroke out over that, <laughs> we would not be violating scripture. Now I say you stroke out because some of you are at work earlier than that. When you just act like on Sunday, I just can't get out of bed. Well, the same God that allows you to get out of bed every day to go to work will give you the strength to get out of bed on Sunday. The issue is I don't want to do it. And so there's a lot of stuff that as we grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus, you will want to do it. See, the reason you don't want to do it now is because you're lazy. You're existing in your own strength. See, when you let the Holy Spirit lead you, you'll discover there's a whole lot that you didn't think was important, you now recognize is important. There's a whole lot you didn't want to do, you recognize now I got to do it. And you recognize there's some folk I need to leave alone because they're not healthy for me spiritually. Some of you all still trying to hold on to old friendships and old relationships that have gotten you nowhere. We need to learn to go deeper, go to the next level. So one of the things that we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to talk about going deeper in evangelism. You do remember Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're told to go. We're told to teach people, baptize them, and teach them some more. We know that's what Scripture says, but what is it going to take for us to do it? You got to go deeper to where you begin to utilize all the resources and opportunities that you have. We need to go deeper in our personal commitment to Jesus. We know Romans chapter 12, you know, about presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. We know that. But why do we have trouble doing that? Because it's easy to say it. And there are some things that when it comes to living life, when you give yourself to Jesus, it becomes easy to do. But you got to give yourself to Jesus. you got to go deeper. Stop being satisfied with just being on the surface. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. We need to learn how to go deeper in ministry. We need to learn, 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11, all of us have been given a gift. It's time for us to start recognizing that. So if you're sitting on the pew today and you're not doing anything with the gift that you have been given by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, shame on you. It's time to stop making excuses. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, what can you do? Some of you folks who love to talk, love to gossip, let's, let's put some gospel in you. So now when you talk, instead of gossiping, you are sharing the gospel with people. Since you love to talk to folk anyway, let's, let's put some new words in your mouth. that keep you out of sin. And so whatever the gift is, we need to start recognizing it's not just the Sunday gifts. Because we get caught up on Sunday gifts that you see. Everybody here can't preach. Everybody here can't lead a song. Everybody here can't get up and officiate over the communion and offering. Everybody here can't lead a prayer. And so if all you do is show up on Sunday, that's what you begin to think about those things. Well, what about the things that we're going to need to happen on tomorrow? What about visiting sick? What about calling the sick? What about outreach activities? What about keeping the building 
looking good. This is God's building. This is God's house. It ought to look better than your house. Now, you know what you do at your house to keep it looking good. You paint it on a regular basis. You change out carpeting and furniture uh, even when you don't need to. Because you want to put, make an impression when folk come in your house. Well, let's care the same way about God's house. And whereas you're willing to spend a whole lot of money to get your house looking a certain way, why don't we care the same thing about God's house and recognize it's going to take some money? Now, when we're releasing, that's one thing. But when, you buy, when you're a homeowner, everything that happens there comes out of your pocket. That's right, man. That's right. That's right. And then the media, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, because we need to go deeper in our study of the scripture. Because if we don't do that, then it's going to be mighty hard to go deeper in any of the things I just talked about. So I want 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15 from the NIV. I know many of us know it from the King James Translation, but I, I like the way the NIV says it. 2 Timothy 2.15. Okay, you guys know I don't have my glasses, so I, I can't read that, so let me just get over here. <laughs> Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So at the very core of what we need to grow deeper in is our ability to handle the word of God, our ability to rightly interpret it. And I like what this version says, do your best. Stop trying to be like somebody else. Do the best that you can. And what you'll discover is that you'll be more effective. You'll be successful being who you are, using words that make sense to you, not trying to copy what somebody else does. Do your best because it's about presenting ourselves to God. We need to stop trying to impress one another. You know, we, 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 we try to hide things from, from each other. God knows everything. Why are you trying to hide from me? Our goal needs to be acceptable to God. Now, in order to be acceptable to God, you got to know what his word says. you got to know what his expectations are. And his expectations are for us to go deeper, for us to grow, not for us to stay superficial Christians so that you won't be ashamed. See, we've gotten so comfortable that we're not embarrassed about the fact that I'm ignorant of Scripture. We're not, we're not embarrassed by the fact, I just go to church service, I don't really do anything. We're not embarrassed by the fact that you can go around the world in a day and pay for it in cash. And when it comes to giving to God, I don't have it. But everything that's important to you, you can find money for it. And then he says, not to be ashamed, correctly handling the word of truth. If you're like me, every now and then, you get, a, you get a chuckle, you get a tickle when you're sitting in Bible class and you hear some of the stuff people say in Bible class. <laughs> Show that they don't know scripture or they're misinterpreting scripture. Am I the only one who's listening in Bible class? See, some of you talk so much you don't hear, but you would do well to start listening and you start recognizing every thought you have, everything you read on Google is not something you need to say in Bible class. Amen. Any of us 
in this building right now could put stuff on Google that has no biblical sense about it at all. That's just the technology that we have today. We need to learn how to handle correctly the word of truth. You need to be humble enough, have enough humility to come out so somebody can teach you who knows the word better than you do. That's how you learn. Okay, how did you learn how to spell your name? And I know your penmanship may still be messed up, but I'm talking about how did you learn how to spell your Because you can spell it even if you're writing this chicken scratch. You practiced it and practiced it and practiced it. And somebody said, no, can, you can do that better. Let's erase this and let's do it again. You remember back in elementary school? I know, I know for some of you, it's a few, few decades. But it was a process. It was a process. I, I am always amazed at how pretty some people's penmanship is. It, it's not mine, but I'm just amazed when I see it. I'm always amazed when, when, um, when I get a letter from my mother or something. Uh, I can just look at the, the, the way the address is written. I, I know who did it. Yeah, she has a pretty handwriting. But people had to practice. And some people, you know, your fingers are just, they're just better at forming these letters than the rest of us. You know, I went to school where you had to, you had to keep up with the teacher, so I learned how to take shortcut and make some notes. Yeah. You might not understand, yeah. I could understand it. <laughs> and then now I'm learning, slow down in your writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still write checks, I know some of you don't. Uh, but there are times I'm writing so fast and I go back, okay, I didn't really make that clear. So I, I scratch them now, avoid it, and then write another one where I take my time, form my letters, and you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want folk to know I, I know how to write. <laughs> I know some of you got your autographs down. It's, it, it is chicken scratch. Yes. Uh, but your bank honors it. That's all that matters. <laughs> so over the next few weeks, we're going to go deeper on some things. Let me end with uh, these four thoughts. Recognize that every believer is called to be more. You and I are called to be more than we currently are. So don't get comfortable that you don't think you can be better. Don't don't get comfortable with thinking you're okay the way you are. As long as God gives us breath and strength to live, those are opportunities for us to become better than we are. Value people who, who care enough about you to come and tell you the truth about yourself. Stop getting mad at them. Get mad at the folk who lie to you. So recognize every believer. And every believer means just that every believer is called to be more than they currently are. Then secondly, let's learn how to give others space to grow. Some of you, you know it's taken you 30 years to get halfway faithful. Why is it we have these unrealistic expectations of other folk in a year or two, they're going to be where they need to be? No, just like it took you this long to get to where you are, you got to be willing to give people space. You got to be willing to recognize some people are going to make some mistakes 
along the way. You don't have to beat them up every time they make a mistake. Be there to lovingly guide them. Don't close the door so that people don't want to talk to you because every time they see you come, oh, they're going to get on me again about this or the other. Learn how to love for for who they are and recognize that they can be better than they currently are. So give folk the space. Kind of remember when your children were younger, they learned how to tie their shoes? The only time they tied them up in knots. But they had to learn. And so if the knots were too bad, you get the step and cut those strings out and put some more strings in there. Okay? You don't like that one. When your children grow, you have to learn, you have to teach them how to dress themselves. And I know for some of you that was an issue because you like to be color-coordinated and everything else. They're just trying to learn how to put the pants on and put a top on and stuff like that. Be happy they were willing to try to be self-sufficient. Because in a few years when they're out your house, it won't matter that you feel they don't match. You got to give others a space to grow. And we got to do that here at the, at, the, at the local congregation. And then as we're going deeper, let's learn how to be true to self. See, even if you don't want to... Uh, Make a confession about whatever's going on. You don't want to tell anybody. You don't want to talk to one another and whatnot. When you see who you are, acknowledge that to yourself and to God. Don't walk around here blind about who you are. Recognize that the way you see yourself may not be how other people see you because we are evaluating based on the actions or the speech that comes out of your mouth. We can't read your heart or your mind. So every now and then you ought to ask somebody, did did I say that right? Did it come out? And and, and some of you, no, it didn't. Then don't get offended. Just think about, okay, how could I have said that differently? And And then as we go deeper in our relationship with God, be thankful. This is worth you writing me a check for $100 a piece. Uh, be thankful for grace. Be thankful for God's amazing grace. Be thankful you have not gotten what you deserve. Be thankful that God has continually given us chance after chance after chance to get it right, and he's still giving us chances. And so as we reflect on that and we really understand that, you will want to go deeper in your relationship with them to find how could a God put up with me? I know you think you're all that good, but you really are rotten. And so actually, how could a God who, who demands perfection put up with a sinner like me? And you'll discover he loves you. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And, and when you think about that, how can I do any less than give him my best? How can I do any less than commit my total being to him? How could I charge him with being unfair just because some things happen in my life that I don't like? You keep on living, there's a whole lot that's going to happen in your life you don't like. Close family members are going to die. You're going to have some financial issues. You're going to have some health issues. And the list goes on and on and on. But guess what? He's still good. He's still extending us grace. He's still watching out for us. And so that ought to cause us to want to go deeper and not get 
not pull away from him. And some of us have to recognize that in the course of a year or two, you pull away. You don't stay connected and committed like you ought to. And, and so if you're being honest about yourself, you need to see that in your behavior and try and figure out what can I do so I don't keep doing this. Because God's been too good to me Amen. to treat him a certain kind of way just because, you know, I'm, I'm going through this season, I'm going through that season. Right. Let's learn how to be consistent in our love and devotion to God. Yes, and when we struggle, let's reach out for help. Anybody needing help today? Anybody needing help today? Okay. Now that, that's being real. Acting like you perfect up in here, murmuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you know you need help. Some of you are gonna need help to walk out of this building. And don't be so proud that you won't get help versus falling down these stairs. This day, are you willing to go deeper? I hope that you are, and I hope that as we transition through these next uh, lessons that you won't get mad at Maurice, but you'll see there's a love letter from God to you, graciously giving you opportunity to get into a deeper relationship with him. And as the pastor said, do your best. That's all God expects of us. Do our best. And I know we have some friends and churchmen who have unrealistic expectations. We're trying to please God, not unrealistic Pharisees. This day, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need to make, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. As we grow deeper in our connection and commitment to God, we don't make frivolous prayer requests, and we don't make frivolous confessions. Okay, I think I need to explain that. We don't make frivolous prayer requests of stuff you can pray for at home. We don't make frivolous confessions about things we know we're not ready to change. You know you haven't been attending worship regularly, but you make a confession. I haven't, I've seen it, I haven't been here regularly, and then we don't see you next Sunday. That, that's frivolous. You could have kept that. And until you're ready to start regularly attending, that's when you say something. But while you know next week you're not going to be here, why, why do you have to say anything? Stop trying to impress people. God sees the heart. God knows what all of us are going to be doing next Sunday. You and I don't. He already knows what's going to happen next Sunday. He even knows what the weather is going to be like next Sunday. He's already going to be here next Sunday. What about you? Well, I hope to be here next Sunday. If the weather is not bad, I'll be here next Sunday. Okay. Okay. You need to go deeper. What's, what's our song? Camping toward Canaan's land. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Anybody want to go to Canaan's land? You know that's a metaphor for heaven and all that. Uh, let's start not only singing about going to Canaan's land, but let's start living like we're on our way there now. As a Christian, our citizenship is already in heaven. 
I, I have dual citizenship. Uh -huh. now, I'm a citizen of Massachusetts, but I'm also a citizen of heaven. And I'm learning, I need to pack my bags for heaven. But then I've learned, I don't have to pack anything to go to heaven. But just get right with God. Anybody wouldn't let go of some stuff? So you can get right with God, you can make this transition on to heaven. I know some of you are afraid to say that because you think you're going to die today. <laughs> the Christian understands you prepare to die every day. Because death is everywhere. Now, I don't need to go down the list of what could happen when you leave here, but you need to live in that awareness so that you make sure you're connected with God. Your relationship is where it ought to be so that wherever you have to meet death, you're ready.